0: Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 24. starts with this question, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says.
1: Good morning again. As we pick up the second letter in the five points of Calvinism, let's ask the Lord blessing as we begin. Father, again, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to share it, Lord, with your saints. We ask, Lord, now that may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we discussed in the beginning... The point of these five points are a reaction to the five points of Arminianism. The first point of Arminianism was free will and the reformers countered with total depravity. And the second point of Arminianism is conditional election and the reformers challenged this one with unconditional election. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the two terms, conditional and unconditional, for a moment. I don't think we find either of these terms in the scriptures, although I could be wrong. Conditional means subject to, implying, or dependent upon a condition. In other words, with strings attached. Something we must happen, something must happen before something else happens. Unconditional means not conditioned or limited, having no exceptions or restrictions. So, if you buy something, say a house or a vehicle, there are conditions to how you pay for them. Children, if you happen to get an allowance, maybe there are chores or things you have to do to earn it. That's conditional. Remember, the Reformers took these points from Arminius and put them to the Scripture test, and they They failed. So, as planned, let's look at the second of these two points. Point two of the Arminians is conditional election, Armenians view that foreknowledge is based upon the positive act of man's will as the conditioned cause that moved God to elect him to salvation. In other words, man's act of faith is condition for his being elected to eternal life since God foresaw him exercising his free will in positive volition towards Christ. Children' volition means it's the act of making a choice or decision on your own. Armenius held that election was conditional, while the Reformers declared it to be unconditional. The Armenians believed that God elected those whom he foreknew, based on a condition established by man, would believe unto salvation. If a man does have free will and is, not, and is not in bondage to Satan or sin, then he is able to provide the condition whereby God may elect him to save him. The Calvinists held that foreknowledge was based upon the purpose or plan of God. So that election has no basis on some fancied condition on the part of man, but was a result of the free will of the Creator apart from any foreseen work of faith in a spiritually dead man. However, if man does not have free will, but is actually in bondage to Satan or sin, then his only hope is that God has chosen of His free will to elect Him to salvation. Remember, we talked about free will last time. Now, throughout this series, you will probably hear me repeat some verses. I don't mean to, but there are so many verses that fit in with many of these points. So, just a warning, but... We really must not get tired of hearing the word, you know, we just can't. Earlier I gave the definition of Arminianism, but not Calvinism. Calvinism is the system of truth which acknowledges the absolute sovereignty of God and man's total dependence on God for every part of his life, faith, and salvation. The second of the five points of Calvinism is easily remembered under the letter U of the acrostic forming the word TULIP. That U stands for unconditional election. Those of mankind who are predestined unto life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose, And the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will hath chosen in Christ to everlasting glory out of the mere free grace and love without any other thing in creation as a condition or cause moving him thereunto. When we think of this point, we remember that the Arminian view is that foreknowledge is based upon the positive act of man's will as a condition or cause that moved God to elect him to salvation. All of the great confessions are in agreement with the Protestant reformers, which declare that election is unconditional. In other words, the foreknowledge of God is based upon His decree, His plan, or His purpose, which expresses His will and not upon some foreseen act of positive volition on the part of man. Let's do a little test to see if Scripture says whether foreknowledge is based upon on the will of man, or the purpose of God. In Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29, Paul says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we see that election is based upon the divine plan according to his purpose, so that foreknowledge, too, must be founded upon the purpose of God and not upon the works of the elect. Now, this passage comes just before our text today, Romans 9, verse 11. Though they were not born yet, and had had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. And then verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. Here the apostle declares that the grounds of election is in God himself, which is to say in his will and purpose and not in an act of faith or some condition, as Arminius would say, in the children of good or evil. Election is unconditional. Man can do nothing to merit it. It's clear that Scripture teaches God does not elect persons to be saved because of some goodness or greatness foreseen in them. On the contrary, He delights in using the weak, base, and useless in a way that guarantees that He alone will gain the glory. You know, I can understand, as many of you also may How Arminius thought. It just seems in our nature that we just want a little piece of the pie. That little morsel, that small ounce of pride, that we may have some good in us, that we did something to cause this. But the answer is no. And there's more, and here's more scriptural proof. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And now listen to verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's very powerful, right? Sorry, man. No glory for you. You see, dears, they have taken God out of everything. Our schools, and for sure a lot of our public schools, our government, and more importantly, a lot of our churches. When churches decide not to preach the whole counsel of God, it's kind of downhill from there. They want to be their own gods. They want some of the glory. They want control. There's... Scripture says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And unless their heart is softened and regenerated, they will fight tooth and nail against God. Here's a little more proof. In his letter to Timothy, he reaffirms unconditional election when he writes in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, 8, and 9. therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And here's the kicker in verse 9. Who saved us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. That sounds familiar, right? So you see, according to Paul... That choice was made by God before He ever made so much as one single thing. Hear that again. That choice was made by God before He ever made so much as one single thing. And there's more proof. Ephesians 1, verse 4a, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So it's plumb near ten amount to blasphemy for anyone to argue that man is capable of his own free will to make a decision for Christ. When the Son of God says, in words that cannot be misunderstood, like John 6:44, "No man can come to me except the Father, draw him." You see, we have a banner over here that says exactly that. So I could just quit right here, but I won't. So, our calling or election is not conditional on something that man does for God, such as exercising his positive volition, but according to his own purpose. He deprived them of their ego-inflating notion that some condition of good existed in them that brought about their election. Election is unconditional as far as man's works are concerned. Now, here's some more proof that man does not do the choosing. Remember what mercy is. It's an unmerited grace or favor. God owes mercy to none. So there is no injustice when mercy is not shown. Mercy is a divine prerogative, and it rests upon God's good pleasure. In Luke four twenty-five to 27 it talks about the great famine. When the heavens were shut up for three and a half years, And Elijah went to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a widow. Also, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And the only one cleansed was Naaman the Syrian. There was no condition in Naaman or the widow of Zarephath, which might be described as good. Yet, God saw fit to act in free grace toward them while passing up many of those who were keeping the law of Moses. In verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. There were a multitude of people that he could have healed or cleansed, but God chose only those to show grace. In verse 17 and 18, he's showing Pharaoh his power that in that his name might be proclaimed. Also, in that his, he has mercy on whom he wills and hardens also whomever he wills. Hence, Pharaoh. Verse 19 begs the question, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Paul tries to explain from experience, going on through verse 20, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And then in verse 21, regarding the molder and the clay, or the potter and the clay, speaking how you don't question or criticize your Creator, for making vessels of wrath or vessels of mercy? In reality, one doesn't really know the difference. Look back at the example of Jacob and Esau. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's strong wording. Doesn't sound fair, right? That he would just pass over some But none of us deserve mercy. All have fallen short. We can only be thankful when we realize that we have been chosen and have received that mercy. There are no conditions whereby a man can save himself. It's God's plan before the foundation of the world. So, As we think about conditional election or unconditional election and look at it through the lens of the scriptures, it's pretty obvious which is correct. As we look at our own justification, did we know about it? Did we really do something to deserve or make it happen? By no means. Now... In yours and my sanctification, hopefully, we can see how the Holy Spirit's workings as you continue to become more like Christ, the one who was cursed on that cruel tree. I know for myself, and I'm sure you do as well, I don't praise Him near enough for electing me unconditionally, even before the foundation of the world praise Him praise Him Jesus our blessed Redeemer glorify and enjoy Him is our chief end I want to close with verses from a couple of hymns let's think of these powerful words from the hymn writers and be thankful hymn number 455 stanza 1 And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused Him pain, for me whom Him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And we all should know this one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity to glean from your word and to share it, Lord. We thank You, Lord, that we have nothing to do with our salvation. Lord, we thank You that You sent Your Son, Lord, to die on that cruel cross for our sins of those that You've chose. And so for that, we are thankful. We pray that we can continue to praise You day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, Lord. And so for this, we are thankful. And Lord, we just ask all of this in the, the blessed holy name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.